This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Listening to her vantage, where we speak to women of influence and leadership. There is a perception that investing is a man's world and that women lack confidence and tend to stay away. However, various studies have proven that women are better investors. And according to Bursa Malaysia, 30% of the total trade value in 2021 was made by women investors, and that women's total trade volume had surged by 194.1% between 2018 and 2021, which is encouraging. And here to speak about this and probably to help demystify how we can further level the playing field and work towards the gender equality when it comes to investing is Group Chief Sustainability Officer and Head of Group Marketing Communications, Kananga Investment Bank, Berhad, Chua Zeping. Good morning, Zeping. Perhaps we can start off with some of the major milestones and initiatives for sustainability at large uh, for Kananga. Sure, Frida. Thank you so much for having me and, and thank you for the question. But before we get into sustainability, perhaps I could start with a very quick introduction of Kananga. I'm not sure how many people know this, but we are a Malaysian homegrown brand founded in 1973, which makes us 50 this year. So in <laughs> fact, we just had our celebration a couple of weeks ago, our Golden Jubilee. Very, very special milestone for us. And for us, despite being in a male-dominated industry, we were actually founded by a female entrepreneur, Tan Sri Tunku Nozakia. So you know, right, for us, the whole tone on gender equality has never been an issue because it has been set from the very top from the very start. You know, so for us, what started as a small stockbroking business back in 73, 50 years ago, is today Malaysia's largest and leading independent investment bank. Our business cuts across stockbroking, investment banking, where we help companies raise capital. We are also in asset management and futures trading. So essentially, our world revolves around investing in its many, many different forms. To your question, in terms of sustainability... I don't think it's possible to be a financial institution today and a public listed entity without considering ESG practices. In fact, we were the first investment bank in Malaysia to join the United Nations Global Compact a couple of years ago to align our initiatives and commitments to the global UN sustainability principles. And last year, we were the first in the country to launch a sustainable and responsible investment fund. Honestly, Frida, you know, we have so much going on across all aspects of E, S and G, you know, from successfully decarbonizing close to 30% of our energy consumption to doing our part to support green economy through our investments in the solar sector and internally championing DEI and supporting social enterprises that we've been working with for over 10 years and promoting right. financial literacy and good governance. I mean, these are just headlines, right? I don't think I'm doing yeah. it justice. So I do invite everyone and yourself, if you have time, to take a look at our sustainability report which is on our website and it captures all our ESG progress and, and everything else in much greater detail. So, so it's been quite a journey for us and with everything that we have been doing, we gained entry onto the FTSE for Good Bursa Malaysia Index in December last year. And it's, it's significant because only 10% of public listed companies in Malaysia qualify onto the index. And it's an index that is based on ESG performance and benchmarked at an international standard. So, you know, really such a great validation of all our hard work and effort. Right. And you said that you've already been on this journey for 10 years and probably we didn't have a name for it, but there were little things that we were doing. And now, you know, I guess more more of a direction going on, right? 
Absolutely, absolutely. I think when we first started out, I remember it was all CSR, if you recall those days. Yes. Uh, then it evolved and then they dropped the S and it was just CR. And then it's just evolved. And now I think when we look at sustainability, you know, it's at such a wider lens. Mm. And, you know, they say it's not about how you spend your money, but how you make your money. So it's about rewiring how you approach business as a whole and not right. just philanthropy and cutting checks, right? So, so yeah, so we have come quite a long way. You know, I could spend the whole day talking to you about our ESG initiatives, but I'm conscious of time. One thing okay. though, I would like to highlight if it's possible, yeah. because I think it's relevant to our focus today on gender equality, is that for us, Kananga, in addition to having a female entrepreneur founder, which is fantastic, because we have such a great role model in her, we also operate at a 51% female workforce despite mm. being in a male-dominated industry. So that catches people by surprise. And in March this year, we signed up to the United Nations Women Empowerment Principles. It's a commitment to promote gender equality at the workplace and marketplace. So, you know, this subject of encouraging women to invest is something that's really close to all our hearts. And I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, right? And I've been in financial services for over 15 years as well. So this whole promoting women's economic participation is something I feel so strongly about. And I'm just really excited to be here to have this conversation. Right. And it's also like, you know, based on Bursa, it's, it's looking good, but of course, we're still not there yet. Uh, still at 30%, hovering at that level. Now, in 2017, a study from Fidelity Investments of over 8 million investment accounts found that women outperform men approximately 0.4% every year. And there are many studies that show similar results. And one reason suggested that women invest in quality over quantity. So what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I'm quite familiar with that with that report and study. I must say I'm not surprised by the report. I'm not sure how you feel about it when you saw it, when you read it. For one, when you think about it, right, women for generations, you know, we've been indoctrinated with the notion that investing is a man's domain. So obviously, when we approach investing, we tend to be a little bit more risk averse. We are generally less confident compared to our male counterparts. So we would spend more time doing our homework, studying the fundamentals of companies, understanding their business practices before making a decision to invest. And not only that, because women are also social creatures, you know, we tend to connect more with others and Clearly, we don't have issues asking for help as well, you know. So what that means is that we tend to seek out advice and discuss with others before making the decision to, to invest. So the right. outcome of all of that really is that women end up having more well-balanced portfolios, less short-term trading, and more about capitalizing longer term investment, which then translates into, I suppose, greater returns and then better performance. In fact, at Kananga, our chief investment officer is female. So she's been with us for as long as I have. So that's like over 10 years, right? And she's won so many awards for her work over the years. She's so sharp and so, so good at what she does. Right. Okay. So based on that comment as well, right, a survey from BlackRock found that 72% of women rejected investments in riskier equities while just 59% of men did. So is this always a good thing when women are so risk averse and do women then need different financial advice from men? Mm, that's, a, that's a good question. I know it doesn't sound cool to be mm. risk averse, you know, but in any investment endeavor, I 
cannot overemphasize how critical it is to have a good view of the risks involved. You know, they say go in with their eyes wide open. This is exactly it, right? Especially mm-hmm. in our world today that is so plagued by volatility and uncertainties, whether it's political friction or climate-related risks like flood or fires. It is so essential to understand how these developments are likely to impact your investment and to establish your risk appetite that you are comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, right, you need to be able to sleep at night. And you have to be able to live with the outcome of your investments. Hmm. And once you've established your risk threshold, it doesn't stop there. It's so important that you turn them into actionable prompts. So for example, online stock trading today, right? On the online platforms, you can actually set auto instruction to buy or sell at a certain price within a certain period. So you don't actually have to sit there and watch the market 24 by 7. And it's a very simple way of managing your risk threshold. And the other thing about managing risk too as well is people often lament, you know, oh, I don't have enough time to monitor my portfolio. Well, if you don't have the bandwidth to study the market and to crunch your own data, one of the options would be to use robo-advisors. And there are a few in the market today, you know, the robo-advisor from Kananga is called Kananga Digital Investing or KDI. And it's actually built on artificial intelligence. And it uses predictive analysis to help monitor and manage your portfolio for you. So it requires zero effort from your end because an algorithm is actually doing it for you. Right. Yeah. So it's as simple as that. And, you know, the other tactic as well to managing risk is simply diversify. The age old mantra, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. So simply right. spread your risk. And we're so lucky today because we have so many different types of investment choices, right? Whether mm-hmm. it's stocks or crypto or even cash, you know, all these are avenues to manage your personal finance and to build your wealth. Okay. I do want to bring up the fact that also research has shown that women are more financially vulnerable and we'll discuss that in just a moment. I'm here with Joa Ping from Kananga Investment Bank, Berhard. Stay tuned to Her Vantage, BFM 89.9. Backing Feminist Movements, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. to her vantage and this is where we speak to women of influence and leadership. I'm here with Chua Ping, Group Chief Sustainability Officer and Head of Group Marketing Communications for Kananga Investment Bank, Berhad. And we're talking about women and investing and although it has been great, according to Bursa Malaysia, 30% of the total trade value in 2021 was made by women and total trade volume for women has surged by 194.1%, nearly 200% between 2018 and 2021. There are some concerns though when you talk about women investing and research has shown that women are more financially vulnerable and they have less confidence with managing money. So that's one study. Uh, But financially vulnerable, I guess, means taking on career breaks and such where they don't have cash flow coming in, right? So how can this be addressed? Yeah, that's that's actually such a real thing Mm. and very true, right? Women do often have to face the unique challenge of needing to take career breaks you know often it's to cater to caregiving responsibilities right whether it's caring for young children or aging parents and if you ask me i think it's a very noble choice which does not get enough credit and it's also a very personal choice but ultimately the fact is when one drops off the career track it often also comes with negative financial consequences i think that's just fact of life right 
The good news is with the pandemic, I think workplace policies have come a long way in terms of the adoption of a more flexible approach. You know, mm. hybrid and remote work arrangements are so much more widely accepted these days, right? And of course, helped by technology as well. You know, today we can Zoom and Teams are meeting and nobody would bat an eyelid. Mm. At Kananga, you know, since the pandemic, we've also deployed a hybrid work arrangement policy, which has seized a combination of both work in office and work from home. But aside from just policies, the other aspect to this is really making sure we promote financial literacy and to have a spectrum of investing tools and products in the marketplace that is accessible and inclusive, right? So that women, should we choose to take a career break, we can still ensure that our money is working for us through investing right. and that your financial standing doesn't necessarily have to be compromised or, or not as much anyway, just because you decide to hit a pause button on your career. Right. And is there a misconception, whether this is gender or not, but that you need a lot of money to start investing? Yeah, absolutely, Frida. I think we get this question a lot. And if anything, this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions about investing. Mm. But you know, the truth is that up till five to 10 years ago, investors would need substantial amount of upfront capital to start investing. So the stigma has stuck, you know, that investing right. is a privilege only reserved for the wealthy. But today... Things cannot be more different. With the rise of fintech, it's all about democratizing investing. You know, investing and wealth creation should be a right for all, even if you have a small amount of money. And platforms like Rakuten Trade, which is our JV company, offers options like fractional shares, allowing investors to own just a small portion of share rather than the entire whole share. Uh, so mm. this means even with a modest amount of money, you know, you can start you know investing in stocks. Right. Another example as well is like things like robo-advisory platforms, you know, like KDI, what I mentioned earlier, allows users to start investing with as little as a hundred ringgit. Mm. Also, there really is no better time than to get onto the investing bandwagon now because it's easy, it's convenient, and it really doesn't take a lot of startup capital. Right. So for the hundred ringgit, you can get started on this journey. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There is a survey by UOB Malaysia and it says that, you know, credit card spending amongst Malaysian women grew 129% from 2011 to 2016. But still some women are not keen on investing, right? So, I mean, they aim to grow their savings account, right? And it's the, I'm just putting on my own hat, like, you know, it's wealth preservation, <laughs> there's new savings. I need to see enough zeros Most in my bank account, right? Is there a right ratio for wealth preservation and wealth creation? That's uh, a very good question. As a general rule, you would want to avoid putting all your finances in one aspect, right? Either it's savings or investing, simply because there are benefits to diversifying your portfolio. But really, there is no prescribed perfect ratio between preservation and wealth creation. Mm -hmm. Investing in assets is great, you know, because you stand the opportunity for growth that generates higher return, but they sometimes come with risk, yes? Yeah. While savings accounts provide the stability, liquidity, and a sense of security, everything you've just mentioned, Frida. So mm. really an ideal scenario, you would want a healthy mix of both. Some investments that are working for you and some savings for a rainy day. Mm. One thing we need to realize though is that cash is a non-profitable asset, especially during periods of inflation. And holding cash can cause a loss of purchasing power. Just think about your grocery bill, right? Today versus three years ago. Three years ago, right? 10 ringgit, I'm very sure, could get you three loaves of bread. Simple analogy, right? Today, with the same 10 ringgit, I think you'd be lucky if you get two. You know, like for like, right? 
So the question is, what are you doing to ensure your money and savings is catching up with inflation? You know, you invest in stocks, you can look forward to dividends, you invest in properties, you stand to gain from capital appreciation. But if you're not investing and you're just hoarding cash, the value of your cash is actually declining in yeah. value year on year. So it's actually costing you. So we mm. really got to think about all of that. Yeah. Okay. You know, when and how should we start conversations about investing amongst women? Oh, I, I love this question. Um, you know, as early as possible and with as many as possible. Right. You know, we have to start normalizing conversations on personal finance and money management amongst women. And it's such a strange phenomenon, right? That women, when we get together, we are so happy to talk about the most intimate details about our personal but, lives, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. we discuss and debate about our life choices, you know, with our friends and our peers. But for some strange reason, when it comes to money and finances, it's out of bounds. Right. It's hard time, right, women start sharing notes and exchanging ideas on investing and cheer each other on our journey, right? Not just women, I think men too, they have a role to play about talking about investments with their sisters and their daughters and their mothers and their wives, you know? Mm. I have the privilege of growing up in a family where investing and money management was our everyday, you know, dinner table conversation. Right. You know, dad is a remiser, so he's very immersed in the stock market world and mom is an investor and entrepreneur. So you can imagine our dinner table conversations would often be about stock performance, stock property prices, investment returns. Mm. And, and I remember as a teenager, my parents gave my sister and I a budget for us to start trading this in the stock market just to get a feel of investing. Mm. I, I don't know how many people are lucky enough to have that opportunity at that age. And I was nine, and I can recall this distinctly, right? At nine, my mom started explaining to me the concept of recession and GDP and, okay. you know, the whole concept of macroeconomics, right? Honestly, you know, I had no idea the profound impact all of that had on me until much later on in my adult life. Mm. When I would approach my own finances with the same principles, right? Like in the mantra that my parents used to instill in me would be like, you know, you save, you invest, you know, make sure you diversify, make sure you hedge against inflation. So, and I look at my own finances today and automatically I think about, you know, how best do I balance between my, my liquid assets versus my non-liquid assets, you know. Mm. I'm not a financial guru. I'm not an investment guru. Right. You know, I, I think we all have to live and learn and make those mm. mistakes. And, and we need to figure out our own styles, what you're comfortable with. Right. But having had the background that I had, I think definitely gave me confidence and put me in a very good footing to manage my own finances. So my response is yes, capital Y-E-S. You know, we have to start normalizing investing conversations to promote a culture of financial independence. And really, there is no age too young. Right. Are you having these conversations with your children? Absolutely. I have two boys, uh, age okay. 11 and 14, but definitely, definitely. Right. And I guess like earlier to the question of the ratio of wealth preservation and wealth creation, it's very subjective for everyone, right? Absolutely. I think when you want to decide on, you know, how you cut your finances, a lot of it is dependent on your personal circumstances, Right. And also your life stage. I think that has a massive bearing on the decisions that you make. So, for example, you know, someone who is a fresh graduate versus someone who is starting a young family versus mm. someone who is planning for retirement. So you would mm. plan differently around that, you know, so, and okay. also your risk appetite. You know, some people are generally just more open to taking higher risk than others. Uh, so again, at the end of the day, you must be able to sleep at night and you must be able to live with the outcome of your investment choices. Right. So are financial programs and initiatives targeted solely women being planned or has been put in place at Kananga? Promoting women participation in investing 
it's really an industry-wide agenda and mm. not unique to Kananga, right? Simply because the beneficiary of more women participation is really everyone in the economy. So, for example, if you look at Bursa, Malaysia, they have an annual campaign called Equality for Equity during International Women's Day where they promote female participation in stockbroking. So, as you just mentioned, right, only one-third of stock trading value is transacted by women. So, certainly there is still room for improvements. For Kananga specifically, we also run our own campaigns where we lower the barriers of entry for women by waiving registration fees for women who sign up with us during certain campaign periods. We also have campaigns that incentivizes women participation by throwing in sweeteners like gifts and vouchers. But beyond the big campaigns and the bells and whistles, right, it's mm. also in the little things that we do, like in our promotional and marketing material, for example, we are very intentional about the representation we put forth. We want mm. to ensure that women are well represented in our marketing and communications material with the aim to better resonate with our women audience and to normalize mm. women in investing. And, you know, we also collaborate a lot with female influencers to promote investing. And internally within Kenanga, and I'm sure you've met some of them, Frida, you know, we have a panel of women speakers who are product owners and who are always out there running financial literacy programs. So where possible, our aim is to put women front and centre to be our face, our voice, to mainstream women in investing and to connect with our female audience. Mm. You know, to encourage women in investing is, is such a critical agenda. I think we've just established that, right? But also, it's a long-haul agenda. And honestly, it's not just about the campaigns and the programs. It's, it's about enabling a culture shift. It's about ensuring the marketplace has the right infrastructure and the right products. And really to recognize that the onus really is on each one of us to take that first step, whether it's to open an account, to start that conversation, to embrace the fact that we are the masters of our own financial future. So we stop waiting for a knight in shining armor to, to save the day, right? So we can be our own heroes, you know? Mm, right. Anything else you'd like to add, Ziping? Just, you know, start today. I think that's the main message, you know, and it's not a daunting journey. Once you get started, we have plenty of options available in today's environment. A lot of options available especially with fintech, a lot of different investment apps are available out there. You don't have to be bounded to your seat 24 by 7. And a lot of it, you know, you can do at night after your children's asleep, which is when I normally start, you know, picking up right. my investment apps and, and looking through them. So yeah, start, start today. Right. Okay. Thanks for spending time with us. I've been speaking to Group Chief Sustainability Officer and Head of Group Marketing Communications for Kananga Investment Bank, Maha Chua Zipping. And you've been listening to Her Vantage on BFM 89.9. listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.